Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week on the Farcast. Terrific Farcast last week, and thank you for the notes, uh, the emails, the texts, even the uh, Facebook Messenger uh, messages, things we get, and appreciate your very kind words about the education that you feel we're providing. I'm glad that it's provocative. I'm glad you have new things to think about. And you know, it really is all because of our fabulous guests. We have the most wonderful guests on the forecast, some of the brightest people on Wall Street in Washington, and indeed thought leaders from around the world. So it's a great privilege to sit in my chair and get to talk to all these fascinating people. We have a great show for you this evening. Stephanie Link, Uh, is going to be with us for our first segment, Managing Director, Head of Equity Research for the TIAA Investments. Uh, She is a pros pro, one of the wisest people I ever get to talk to when I see her on CNBC. It's one of the only times of the day. You've got to unmute your television, ladies and gentlemen. You want to listen to Stephanie Link. Then we've got Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. We're going to be discussing the Mueller probe, the Barr letters, why the Republicans have suddenly shifted to talk about health care, of all bloody things. Why are they going to health care? And what are the Democrats really trying to do by going back to Barr and going back to the Mueller report saying, we need to see the whole thing, we need to do this, we need more information? Are they going to overplay their hand? What does this mean as we go into that, go back to that pool of candidates for the 2020 election? And finally, Heather Long from the Washington Post is going to discuss how Washington and New York and Wall Street look around the world. She is the economics correspondent at the Washington Post, Wellesley College. Uh, She a BA in economics, Oxford University, master's in financial economics. uh, And listen to this, and medieval literature. She was a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, Heather's coming up, just one of the coolest people we ever get to talk to on the Farcast in segment two. Remember that on the Farcast, we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And we believe that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. If you're feeling ebullient or if you're feeling fearful, go take a walk around the block, go to the gym, go work out, go rearrange the furniture, go do anything except make financial decisions when you're feeling emotional. Now, Uh, As promised, Stephanie Link is a managing director, head of equity research for TIAA Investments. Uh, She is a pros pro, a fellow CNBC contributor, always on the closing bell and halftime. I even get to be on there with her sometimes. Uh, It is fabulous to have you back on the Farcast. Welcome, Stephanie. Well, thank you, Michael. Such a nice introduction. I appreciate being here and being invited. Well, it is fabulous. And, and you know, our listeners always send us notes when you're on. So uh, you're really good for ratings, too. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is the, you're, you're helping us out. Stephanie, it was not a bad day in the markets today, but we've been all over the place. And last week, you know, over a 400-point drop on the Dow Jones Industrial Average last Friday uh, with news from Jeffrey Gunlock that the Fed had overplayed their hands. We were going into a horrible recession. The world was going to end and everything was going to be awful and it was all the Fed's fault and President Trump was right. And now I can't imagine after hearing all that on Friday how we're up, uh, you know, 140 points today and the world hasn't come to an end. So tell us what you're making of the markets and all of the noise you've been hearing. It's really, it's really a, an amazing time. Um, 
And I think it's always challenging between earning season periods, right? Because there's that vacuum of information from companies. It's a no news time, isn't it? Yes, no news, right? yes, exactly. Yeah. No news time. So you have no news time, but that you also are very much kind of hostage to kind of the big picture macro, whether it be the Fed, whether it be Washington, whether it be China data, whatever it may be. So I, I kind of tend to ignore the periods between earnings and just I either go to conferences. I loved your comments about doing research as being one of the keys to successful investments or investing. I mean, I, I feel like that's spot on. So I just kind of hunker down and I say, okay, which companies have strong fundamentals? Which companies have good balance sheets? Where can I find the number one or number two player that has been hit because of these macro headlines, which for the long term really don't impact these companies? And that's sort of kind of what I've been doing. It's a very confusing time, as you know, Michael, because the central bankers are really kind of distorting the, the, the bond market and the yield curve. I'm not saying that things aren't slowing I mean, they globally. they have been for years too, right? I mean, that, this they has have. been going on for years. This distortion is not new. No, it's not new, but it is new from the Fed to really back away and do a 180 like they did. So now you have ECB really loose for a long time. BOJ, by the way, BOJ for 20 years has had zero interest rate policy, so they've been loose forever, and they will be. The, 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 the PBOC, very, very accommodative and also stimulating People's on Bank the fiscal of China. side. People's yeah. Bank of China, PBOC. <laughs> oh, that's right, People's Bank of China. And they've been okay. not only uh, accommodative on, on rates, but also very much on, on the fiscal side. And then, of course, the new news of – as of late, has been the Fed. So all of this is really sort of distorting, I think, um, the bond market to some degree. I'm not trying to discount that we are slowing, but I think we have been, you and I have been on, the, I've been on this, this podcast, this great podcast, and we've been on TV together talking about how China was slowing even before yes. the trade talks. That was 18 months ago. So Europe and China and international has been slowing for a long time, and all of a sudden now we're obsessed with it, which I find very interesting. The new news is, sure, the U.S. is slowing, but we're not going into a recession. And I am not that concerned about the yield curve. I am mindful of it. I'm respectful of it, but I'm not thinking that we are going to see a recession soon. And if that's the case, slow growth, low rates, that's actually very good for risk assets. It's interesting the dynamics are it's good for growth assets, not cyclical assets. So you have to kind of shift yes. within your portfolio. Well, you know, Stephanie, I wrote an op-ed for CNBC.com today, and, and basically that's what I said. Look, uh, we are at a, we're, we've been pricing at the end of last year for a 2% growth environment, much reduced growth environment, but that's not awful. Things no. are still growing. We're not crashing and burning. So everybody just grow up and shut up. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, and look at the numbers. You know, in the, in the fish market, we say ignore the screaming and the yelling and pay attention to the price of fish. I mean, that's what good investors <laughs> do, right? You, you pay attention to the price. So what you just said was that's what you're doing with your research. What's coming to the top? And you know, one of the other things that I always say is, Look, the stuff that everybody loves is fully priced. The yeah. hardest thing to do is buy something that everybody else hates and, and have the conviction not only that you think it's going to do well, not because you have some sort of dyspeptic feeling that somehow, you know, uh, I just like that company. That doesn't matter for beans. I don't care whether you like it or you don't like it or you have warm and fuzzies or you, or you don't. Uh, I, 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 have a, I have a client who hates Facebook. And, and 
I'm like, yeah, you can hate it, but the numbers are strong. Uh, the cash flow is strong. It happens to be one where the, I like the fundamentals of Facebook. What of the companies you've been looking at, have you been doing research, any names or industries popping up you can share with us? Well, you know, it's interesting that, that, that you, you mentioned um, just it's like sentiment, right? I mean, you know, we've had, yes, um, growth is kind of getting sort of fully valued. We have defensive sectors like utilities and staples kind of getting fully valued. REITs go up yes. just about every day. Utilities, yes. as I mentioned, I, I feel like if I'm, if I'm leaning anywhere, I'm actually leaning towards I, taking some gains from my growth sectors because I've, I've had a nice run and maybe putting them into some of the cyclical sectors. But here's what I think you need to really get aggressive on cyclicals. And the cyclicals, we mean industrials, we mean energy, we mean financials, discretionary. I, you really do need to start to see some green, bet more than just green shoots in China and in Europe. And we have been, by the way, seeing green shoots in Europe and in China. You have to see more than, than that, um, I think, to really get aggressive. That said, I think you can buy some very high-quality industrial companies and energy companies and, fi and even financials. Gosh, those, those stocks, they, just, they hurt me every day. But they've gotten to valuations, Michael, as you know, that are really like you kind of can't ignore it because – you can't pay 25 times for a staple, consumer staples company that's going to grow organically at 1%. That's just not no. a good value. That's not a good use no. of your money, no matter even if it does yield 3%. I get it yields 3%, but not the best place. You could have a balance. So where actually I'm, I'm, I am looking, um, and I'm, it's just going to be controversial, but I'll tell you, my two easy, I think the two easiest industrials to own are GE and Boeing. I think wow. that, yeah, yeah, I think that in the energy space, I like, I do like Chevron, and I'm warming to Exxon for the first time in five years because they're gaining share in the Permian. In financials, I think if you're going to play financials, you've got to be very careful because the yield curve is flatter, so the spread guys don't really make a lot of money, but I do think capital markets are going to do well, and so I think you can kind of nip, I think you nibble at Morgan Stanley. So if you're going to play that way, and I don't want Goldman? to be totally over Goldman? the top. What about Goldman? Goldman? You... Well, the only reason on Goldman is because they still have that overhang, right? You know, the, the uh, MBD, the, 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 the overhang with the government, the Indonesian government. I mean, they, they have some legal problems, but my, I really respect their new CEO. He is a fabulous, fabulous person and a great leader. So if I could get over the legal problems, I would. But I think Morgan Stanley had such a crummy quarter last quarter, and everyone kind of got down on it. I actually think the expectations are low enough there that I want to play that name over Goldman, at least for the short term. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Goldman. Uh, You're going to take Goldman? Okay. Yeah, well, you know, I, just so many years, and, and, and I've been doing this for over 30 years, and, you know, um, with all due respect to my many, many good friends at Goldman Sachs, sometimes the clients make money and sometimes the clients don't make money, but Goldman Sachs always makes money. Uh, you know, it's like betting with the house when you go to Vegas. I, th I just think, and I agree with your thinking on the financials and why you go to that sector. Though I got to tell you, Stephanie, I look at some of these banks and I get some of these banks trading at, you know, right at one times tangible book or 1.1 times tangible book. And I think, I, I know the environment stinks, but damn, these prices are very compelling. I, I can't imagine it's going to last forever. Uh, I, I just, don't think it will, but I just wonder, Michael, and I don't, I, I'm curious if you agree, 
I wonder if these really truly are, just like energy, by the way, um, is so, they're kind of trading stocks, right? I mean, because they are now, you, aren't they? Right, right. Because I mean, if you have yeah. a curve, if you have the bond market that sort of ca- that yields are capped because of central bankers, because as long as central bankers are buying, they are capped. That's the problem, and and so. The regionals have problems. The spread lenders have problems. So that's fine. We could get a bounce in those. But I just don't know if you see a real breakout in those. Now, the flip side is rates so low, housing, I think, is bottoming and kind of going to recover. I know the data today was not perfect, but it was, there were some bright spots in the housing data. I actually think if housing can get better, rates stay low, consumers stay strong, lending can get better. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to be nimble in that space because it's been a hard space for quite some time. So, I mean, again, Boy, I think you want, lean, yeah, you want to lean cyclical, but you have to have a balance and a barbell. I think you've got to have, I think you've got to have the balance, too. And, and all of a sudden, I cannot believe this, but I, but I am out of time. You just have to listen to Stephanie Link, ladies and gentlemen. You, you, she just makes way too much sense. She's, ah. way too, she's way too reasonable and wise for someone so very, very young. She's just uh, so wise, and you have to listen to her. So uh, <laughs> you are wonderful. Stephanie, as we go through, uh, I'm going to get just see if I can get one final uh, word from you. For uh, our individual investors, for uh, Fred and Ethel, as I always refer to my dear investors, Fred and Ethel, uh, the individuals, as you look at a market that's up 10% or so year to date, mm-hmm. what are reasonable expectations for the balance of the year? Mm, I think you have to have low expectations, but low interest rates, are pretty darn good for risk assets if it's for the right reasons. And I believe it is for the right reasons. I do not think we're in a recession. I think we're in a little bit of a slower growth environment. Second half of the year picks up because China stimulus kicks in. And I think the best advice I give you guys, dollar cost average every month. Put a teeny bit of money in on the ups and the downs, and I think you'll be thankful in the long run. I think it is fabulous advice from my friend Stephanie Link. Thank you so much for being with us on the Farcast, Stephanie. You rock. A pro's pro. Just listen to her, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back with my friend Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidencies, who tells me it's Mueller time. We'll be right back. I'm Michael Farr. You're listening to Farcast. Thank you for listening to The Farcast. We'd like to introduce a new daily show for you, The Farcast 3-Minute Morning Brief. Every morning before the sun rises, we bring you markets, commodities, and futures. Just the facts to start your day. The Farcast 3-Minute Morning Brief. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or your favorite platform. And now, back to Michael and The Farcast. Now more with Michael Farr and The Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. What a tremendous segment there with the great Stephanie Link. You know, she is a pro's pro. A lot of wisdom from Stephanie there. I always think she's, she's one of the people I really, truly listen to and admire and respect, but a lot of solid advice. So, so grateful to have her join us again this week. Remember, on the Farcast, we go from Wall Street to Washington to the world. And all of the considerations and implications for investors and what we should be thinking about in terms of our portfolios as we think about the economy and what's going on. Dan Mahaffey is our senior political analyst for the Farcast. He is a senior vice president, uh, director of policy for the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. 
you'll remember that he has his master's degree in security studies with a concentration in U.S. defense policy from Georgetown University, as an undergraduate from Georgetown as well in government. Uh, he speaks Mandarin Chinese, studied in, in China. Uh, he is an insider's insider, and who better to have on the Farcaster with all of this going on all around the world than the great Dan Mahaffey. Welcome back to the Farcast, Dan. Good to be back, Michael. How are you? I am very well. I'm just great. I've been fascinated uh, over the weekend. We see that uh, uh, the uh, uh, Mueller, uh, Robert Mueller, sent his report to uh, the Attorney General Barr, and Attorney General Barr sat on it for a couple of days, and he sent a four-page summary to members of Congress uh, who all said that it was basically crap and you couldn't believe anything from that Attorney General anyway. But it does look mm -hmm. like the president uh, was uh, – this looks like a win for the president. So tell me of my uh, uh, very, uh, you know, uh, feeble uh, interpretation. Am I right? Am I wrong? What do you see? Yeah, the president may not drink, but I think he's enjoying Mueller time uh, right now. <laughs> and it's the, uh, the idea that this uh, investigation, very in-depth, very thorough, uh, realized that the, we, we were looking at it, and I think there were many on the left who were thinking that there'd be some kind of uh, smoking gun, you know, sort of the, uh, the, uh, a note saying, Spasiba, my friend uh, Donald, signed Putin. Uh, nothing yeah. quite like that because uh, what you saw was, look, there's, there's a, a range of advisors and this cast of characters. Uh, you know, some were criminal, some were, were downright stupid, but none of the actual uh, criminal uh, conspiracies or collusion uh, came back to the level of the president or his family. Uh, so while the investigations will continue in the Trump organization, uh, into his inaugural, into some of these other uh, areas he's been associated with, the, the issue of Russia collusion, I think, is put to bed, at least to the extent that while Russia did interfere with our election, it was not with the, the knowing cooperation of President Trump or the Trump family. That's what this report said. That's not the Dan Mahaffey opinion, correct? That's what the report said. This is, this is what we're at least getting from the Attorney General's, with Attorney General's statement. So we're, we're kind of we're flying the plane right now in a fog bank and, and looking at the chart given to us by someone else. But uh, given that this would eventually be uh, brought before Congress or, or released in some manner, uh, I think you do have to trust a certain amount of what Attorney General Barr says. I had friends of mine who are uh, strongly leftward leaning uh, Monday morning uh, look at me. And, and I, ladies and gentlemen, I truly uh, try to, uh, on the air and in the media, try to be uh, about as nonpartisan as I know how to be. I am a fiscal conservative uh, and like us to be able to pay for the things we do as a country and the amount of debt that we rack up scares me. Uh, that's that's the pretty much uh, the extent of my, uh, anyway, publicly shared conservatism. So I had my leftward-leaning friends who were genuinely upset Monday uh, that there was nothing in there that really got Trump that it didn't look like they found him as anything criminal. And, and they thought it was, they, they were very disappointed. They thought it was awful. And I said, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, I understand you might not like this person. And I feel, think a lot of people on both sides of the aisle uh, are, may not be personally fond of Mr. Trump. But 
he's still the president of the United States, and I don't think the country needs to go through. I mean, I was very relieved when I saw this report uh, in many ways that the country doesn't have to go through that. That would be a really dark hour for our country, and I'm very glad we've avoided it. Now, the Republicans have pivoted, and it seems like the Democrats haven't. The Democrats are saying we still don't basically believe uh, that Barr is telling us everything there is to tell, and we want more, 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 more. It strikes me that that is going to play very much into the president's narrative of see there out to get me. But in a, thing, in, in a move that's absolutely stunning to me, the Republicans have taken this high ground and are shifting to health care, Dan. Health care of all things. Can you tell me why, what they hope to gain, what they're doing? Why health care of all the places the Republicans could have gone right now? Why health care? Well, I think part of it is that the, the momentum is being driven by the lower-level court cases that are still going on regarding the Affordable Care Act. Uh, but if you, if you thought that they were going to embrace this opportunity and go with uh, perhaps uh, uh, something along the lines of infrastructure, or prescription drug pricing, uh, that where you could get some moderate Democrats and get a sense of, look, something's being done for the, uh, the American people, uh, they go ahead with this, which, which similar to the wall, it's, it's a move that certainly uh, shores up the base. Uh, but still, uh, the Affordable Care Act, as, as, as it's gone on, it's actually become more and more popular of a law. Um, and I think Democrats uh, of all stripes should say, one, the White House has given us an opportunity by, by moving on health care. And, and two, look at how they won in 2018. Certainly, there were all the scandals facing the president, but it was also issues of, of protecting access to health care, uh, the idea that the, the economic growth was, was not even throughout the country. Those are all issues other than Russia, where, where the president and Republicans are, are very vulnerable. So I would maybe take this as an opportunity to, to close the page on some of this Russia conspiracy stuff, which uh, only appeals to the, the far left uh, who, who, who want to see Trump in, in an orange jumpsuit and the far right who thinks it's a, a witch hunt. Uh, let's look at some of these issues that actually affect people and will drive, I think, a lot of the pocket, pocketbook issues, as you are, say, are you, for, wait, hang on, for Fred no, and wait, Ethel in saying, 2020. Are, are you saying that you think that, it's, that the, that the uh, focus, the shift to focus on health care is reasonable? I don't think it's uh, reasonable for the, for the White House. I think it's an area where they're extremely vulnerable, given how successful Democrats were uh, on health care messaging during the midterms. Uh, and it's an area where if you if you don't if you kind of one of those things if you're going to come at the king you better have a plan how to how to rule the next day and if you're going to uh, basically gut the Affordable Care Act with no uh, backup plan uh, to to manage this this healthcare market uh, you're going to end up in in more trouble than it's worth. So uh, all right, um, you know infrastructure to me seemed like uh, the most logical place to go uh, next and that there would be bipartisan, there would be uh, sort of a win for both sides anyway and something they could agree on and, and the president can, can continue his rhetoric. And, and uh, I, I can't, I just don't understand why we're back at health care. You know, uh, when President Clinton was first elected, uh, the, he and the first lady went with health care. He made the first lady... Uh, uh, head of this sort of healthcare uh, effort, and it, it just used every bit of early on political capital they had and blew sky high. President Obama did the same thing 
ended up with a positive result. He was able to push it through, used an enormous amount of political capital. I just don't understand, I guess, why we keep going up and buying, you know, picking up uh, this particular hammer and slamming it down on our thumbs so many times over. Uh, but uh, anyway, I also suggested, Dan, when I introduced you and, and this particular uh, segment, that uh, it seemed risky to me for the Democrats to continue to pursue uh, this uh, Mueller report uh, that's saying we need more discovery and we need more information, we need more. It seems to me that they're going to dig themselves a hole here. Tell me, tell me what you see, because you're the one who counts here. Well, I think that, look, they, they have to balance what they want to say to their base, which is, which is still going to want these investigations to continue, and, and they're going to continue into the, the Trump organization, the, the hush money, the inaugural fund, all those areas where there's still ongoing scandals. Uh, but the, if, we, if you want to look at how you're going to win in 2020, uh, both sides need to demonstrate uh, what their agenda is doing to help the American people, to help the economy, uh, to help our competitiveness, I think those are questions that are going to come uh, to the forefront. Uh, and going after either, you know, having this quixotic uh, focus on impeachment is not going to help the far left. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, Republicans, if they keep going for an issue that affects every household, uh, like health care, and just raises people's blood pressure, literally and figuratively, uh, that's not going to help them either. Uh, I saw another article, Dan, that suggested that perhaps the president would slow down the deal with China, that he might even become more demanding because he doesn't really need that political capital right now in the China deal. He has this big win where he says he has been exonerated, uh, even though the report, I think, specifically said it was an exoneration, but not enough to actually mm -hmm. bring any sort of charge or implication. But uh, I, 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 correct me if I get any of that stuff wrong, because it's easy for me to get stuff wrong. But it, it's, it sounded, uh, this article was saying that the president might really start to slow play China and get more of what he wants because he doesn't need the deal as desperately as he did before politically. Does that make sense to you? Does that resonate? Well, I think there's a certain amount of, look, that the the president has this, this newfound uh, uh, tailwind that he's come out of this successfully. Um, I think there's so many issues, though, wrapped up in these negotiations that uh, you don't really want to uh, further destabilize markets and trade if we're, if we're making progress. Uh, on the other hand, I think it does strengthen his hand, though, when it comes to these longer-term structural issues uh, that may not be necessarily solved in this current trade agreement, but will require both President Trump and, I believe, our next president to continue to be tough on China. Um, so this, this negotiation with China is something that President Trump has really taken on in earnest. Uh, I think, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, it is high time. It is a very good thing. You might disagree with the way the president is choosing to go about it, but I haven't heard anybody with a better suggestion. And that he is doing it, I think, is very important for our country. Uh, you know, you're a fan of the president. You're not a fan of the president. I'm sorry. You've got to give him credit here. Uh, this is important to the uh, U.S. economy and future U.S. economy uh, for several generations. So I, I, I'm, I'm very pleased to see this happening. I think it's a good thing economically for the country. So, uh, Dan, we have now, uh, we've uh, waded back into the quagmire of health care 
here in Washington. We've got some heated discussions politically. We're at the end of our time. What else are you going to be watching uh, that we're going to come back and talk about next week? What's key from, uh, that's going to happen over the next five or seven days here? Well, if you, if you call the health care uh, hitting yourself with the mouth, I think the, uh, the British have brought out that cartoon Acme hammer when it comes to Brexit. Uh, so we're going to have to wait to see how that settles out. I think that's going to be interesting to follow next week. Uh, and I also think, too, let's look at how uh, really if we, if we see uh, Vice President Biden, uh, whether he enters the race, I think, any day now, uh, how that shakes up. That, that. is going to happen, uh, right? That's like a guaranteed lock. You've said that before, right? Yeah, uh, we, and particularly with Bloomberg and, and a few others getting out of that, uh, that lane uh, for him. Um, but I think it's also, let's start to see now that also with, with Mueller gone, I want to hear more from the 2020 Democrats what their action plan is uh, for, for some of these policies, less uh, about confronting President Trump, but let's actually get some, some real policies uh, starting to come forward from these candidates as we go through this invisible primary uh, so we can shake out how far left they're going to pull because I think how far left they pull is also going to be uh, tell us how the White House is going to respond to their 2020 competition. You know, ladies and gentlemen, when I was asked, it suggested that I start doing this podcast a year and a half ago and that we have these three segments I, I really was worried every week and I said, well, what am I going to talk about politically week to week <laughs> There's not, there not have been, there not, haven't been enough hours in the day, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Dan Mahaffey, we're going to do Brexit and do, really try and do a dig uh, on that next week when we come back. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back on the forecast. We're so grateful that you're with us every week with Heather Long from the Washington Post, Wellesley College, BA in Economics, Oxford University, Masters in Economics, Rhodes Scholar, one of the brightest people in Washington, D.C. She was asking one of the first questions at the Federal Reserve's press conference. She's going to answer one of the first questions on the forecast. When we come back, stay with us. You're listening to Forecast. Do you have an upcoming function and need a dynamic speaker to engage your audience? You've enjoyed listening to the forecast, so why not invite Michael Farr to speak at your next event? In addition to hosting the Farcast and serving as president of the advisory firm Farr, Miller, and Washington, Michael is the longest-serving paid contributor to CNBC. He is recognized by audiences, and his presentations on the economic outlook are always well-received. Michael has recently appeared at such venues as the Economic Club of Memphis, the University of Delaware, Matheson Financial Conference, and the YPO-WPO Economic Summit. Add your event to the growing list of organizations who have been informed and captivated by Michael's insights. For more information or to book Michael for an upcoming event, please email me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com, or call me at 202-530-5608. You're listening to Forecast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Forecast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week on the Forecast. We've had a terrific show, and it's only going to get better here in segment three, ladies and gentlemen. I promise. We started, of course, with Stephanie Link, Managing Director head of equity research for TIAA Investments, a pros pro, a fellow CNBC contributor. What a terrific segment. A wise woman, well wise beyond her years. Uh, 
and, and telling us what she thinks about the market and perhaps where we should be, not thinking we're in a recession at all. Great stuff out of Stephanie. Then Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress really liked what he had to say about what's going on on Capitol Hill, what the implications of this Mueller report uh, are, uh, if, if any, and, that this, uh, and, and what it's going to mean to have this pivot by the Republicans to focus on health care as the Democrats continue to hammer on Attorney General Barr to try and get more there. But now, Heather Long is the economics correspondent at the Washington Post. She went to Wellesley College, uh, studied economics and English, Oxford University, Masters in Financial Economics, and how about this, medieval literature. That's pretty cool. She was a Rhodes Scholar, so she's amazingly smart. You saw her on TV last week, first question to Jay Powell in his press conference. Now, wait a minute. Medieval literature, uh, Heather, is that right? You got it. Hey, that helps you a lot in those Fed press conferences, right, when you're Juan, trying to discern every word. <laughs> Chairman, Chairman Powell, uh, Juan that April with his shortest sota, the druk of March hath persed to the rota. I mean, you could try that, you know. That's right. Unfortunately, there is no April meeting this year, so maybe next year. (laughs) I may have to save it because that's when the Canterbury Tales were. That was April, wasn't it? The month of April? That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. See, you can learn so much on the forecast that has nothing to do with most anything. Uh, Another reason you should listen in. So, Heather, tell us, uh, you ask um, uh, how worried the Fed is about a steep slowdown and you suggested that some of their actions looked like there was more worry, and you also asked him to clarify clarify the Fed's position on their balance sheet. Uh, Tell us what he said, and tell us what you were thinking about at that meeting. Well, um, not surprisingly, on the first one, how worried are they? He immediately jumped to the outlook is a positive one. Uh, He made that comment about economic fundamentals are still very strong. So kind of what we expected that we would hear that really positive commentary on the economy, even though when you looked at the actual actions that they took at that meeting, they certainly seemed to be more worried uh, than the words that were coming out of his mouth. Um, So for me, though, the more interesting part was probably the balance sheet part. Obviously, there has been a huge debate. It's been happening on on your podcast and other places about whether uh, this balance sheet runoff is a form of monetary tightening. You know, is it it removing liquidity from the market? Uh, A number of people have made that claim to me, and Powell took this chance to say, uh, say no, that the way that he looks at it the runoff right now, he does not see it as tightening. Um, So I think that helps explain a lot of his original answer to me back in December when I asked him um, about the balance sheet. He made that famous comment that it was on autopilot that really triggered that sell-off towards the end of December. Um, Uh, Okay, Stephanie, this – but I'm sorry, Heather, this strikes me as just stupid. Um, (laughs) <laughs> uh, not to put too fine a point on it, Heather, but when, when, when he says it's not tightening, wait a minute, you're selling into the marketplace, you're creating supply, that's going, I mean, how is, how is that not going to be uh, tightening? I mean, that raises rates when you add the supply. Somehow it's, I mean, it might not be having a noticeable effect, but you're, that's not, that's not, it's not accommodative. 
Accommodative is when you buy. Tightening is when you sell. Am I wrong? I mean, you, you're the one with the master's degree from Ho- Oxford. Tell me. <laughs> well, I think in this case, it's, it's, about, it's a matter of degrees. And so what you're outlining is certainly uh, you know, very sound principles of, of market, markets, how markets work. But I think we have to remember that uh, I, I, I was using the analogy in my piece last week that it's like um, – you know, we've been walking around in these baggy jeans from the 1990s for the last uh, several years, and you know, sun, it's not Those like those are still going... new jeans for me. My jeans <laughs> are, my, are what I call my new jeans. Go ahead. But I'm it's sorry. not like we're going from baggy to tight overnight. You know, there's sort of those what do they call them? Relax fit cut. Um, and so, you know, I think what the Fed is trying to argue here, and that they probably have somewhat of a point, is we are nowhere near. Uh, a situation where banks, you know, aren't able to hold the amount of reserves at the Fed overnight that they would like to hold. You know, that they're still, they talk about having that reserve plus buffer cushion, and we are still several, you know, billion dollars uh, really above that at the moment. Okay. So now you were there, and you asked this fabulous question, and, 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 the, and the chairman uh, sidestepped a little bit. What's your take, really? What are you thinking that the Fed, why the big shift? I mean, this is, I was on CNBC last week up in New York for the, for the hour uh, on Friday, and that was kind of all the talk and people asking me around the newsroom. Why it, has the Fed been spooked, and are they seeing something worse than the rest of us are seeing? I think that they... It's a very Probably. heavy side. It is. <laughs> I think they've realized that they made a mistake in December, and they're trying to reverse course. And, you know, while in a normal situation, if they hadn't hiked in December, they probably would have done one hike in, in 2019 here. Uh, the reality is that they're almost like over course correcting for making that mistake in, in December. Um, I don't know. That's what it's, it seems to me what's going on, on here. I, I don't know that they see something that the rest of us don't see um you know they're still they're still predicting a pretty solid year this year uh 2.1% this year 1.9% next year um they still have that rather silly implication that they could even raise in 2020 which i think is highly unlikely um seems stupid to me yeah yeah not going to happen um Okay, so here's now here's what I'm I, I was kind of of hearing also uh, the hue and cry on uh, up in uh, uh, on Wall Street at the end of last week was that and, and the pe- reason people were giving for that 450 point down day on Friday was that the Fed got it wrong they that that last interest rate hike killed the market killed the economy. Uh, it's and and the Fed always kills it, and the Fed just killed it again. And I and I kind of stopped and said, and I like your impression here. I said, now wait a minute. Now there were nine rate hikes. You really think that the last quarter of a point is the one that killed everything? I mean, really? And we're not going to know what the effects of that particular monetary policy action will be for 18 months. Is typically what we look for, 12 to 18 months. So couldn't it be perhaps? Just perhaps that the Fed has gotten this soft landing right, that they got us through this 
uh, horrible Great Recession and financial crisis of 2008 and 2009 provided perhaps the right amount of monetary stimulus and that now we're seeing some wage grains and we could have organic growth begin to foment and hell, maybe they got it right. I, I'm just, do you think they did or am I being Pollyannish? I just don't see the, all the need for the doom and gloom exactly. I don't see. I, I think the problem is people are lurching too much from. Oh, we had a great 2018. Remember last summer when it was like, oh, the euphoria is almost too high in both the market and, and reads on the economy, you know. And and now it's almost too low, um, too much dejection, and and everybody's quick. I, I'm sure you get a lot of notes in your inbox too. Everybody's quick to be predicting recession right around the corner, and yeah. you know the reality is we're back in what I like to call the B, the B plus economy, the good but not great economy, similar to what we saw in yes. the Obama era. Yes. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to really um, <laughs> really get super excited or really get, uh, you know, super down in the dumps about this. And, but, you know, that doesn't make always for great headlines, whether on your research report or, or in the newspaper to talk about the good economy, but not great economy. Certainly that's not well, what you know, it's Trump like wants TV to be talking ads. about. <laughs> it's like those TV ads, you know, okay, is okay. I mean, I understand on television, okay is not okay. But in the economy, hell, we've had a tremendous recovery from 2008 and 2009. We've seen the Dow Jones Industrial Average go from 6,700, actually below that, to well over 26,000. We're hovering in the 25,000 range here. And now you're telling me we're going to grow slowly from here. Hell, I can live with that. I don't understand why that's awful. I don't think it's awful. I don't think it's great, but it doesn't strike me as awful. Do you are you seeing awful anywhere out there? No. I mean, the two of the economic indicators that I spend a lot of time focusing on, and I don't think CNBC does because it's not their bread and butter, but, you know, you got to look at the consumer and the health uh, of where the consumer's at. I will say today's confidence numbers uh, from the conference board, you know, were a little a little bit worrying. But, again, it's more part of that good but not great trend. We, we have a good month, and then this month and the conference board reading is a little bit lower than we expect. And it's sort of bouncing around, you know, we're, we're not – we're below the all-time high. Clearly, we passed the peak, but again, we're not seeing big dips yet. The other one I like to pay attention to, I'm a big fan of the trucking industry. Almost every good in this country yes. you know, is, yes. is going to move on a truck. Last year was just crazy prices we've never seen before in the trucking industry, you know, partially because of tight labor markets and partially because of some new government restrictions that um, kind of like similar to ER doctors, we, we don't want our truckers driving more than 11 hours um, straight right. in a day. And so, um, so anyway, there was this spike in, in um, truck prices last year. We've seen that come down, and a lot of people have been talking about the case freight index has had three straight months, January, February, March, of year-over-year uh, -year declines. Now, there's a part of you that says, okay, well, last year was sort of record levels in trucking, so we would expect a little bit of that to come off as the market right, begins right. to clear again. Yeah, right. But there's another part of you that's like, I'm a little uneasy that we're seeing these you know, these numbers that are starting to show a little bit of the gas coming off. So, again, all of this to me at the moment looks like that good but not great picture. And, and it sounds, as you describe it, kind of the pendulum's swinging in a in, uh, not unexpected way, if that's uh, right. if you and, don't mind you know, my double negative. 
Exactly. And I keep telling people every year for the last several years at Washington Post and before that I was at CNN and CNN Money, uh, I would write these articles and every other economic journalist would too about you know the, the winter slump. Q1 is terrible. Yes. You can either argue that the BLS can't, or BEA can't get you know, their adjustment figured out right. for Q1 or you can argue Never. that we just have horrendous winter weather somewhere in the country and that kills things. You know, whatever you want to. Obviously we had shut down this year to add to it all. You know, but we have these terrible Q1, and then we write these stories about the spring bounce. You know, the, the, the cherry blossoms are out of D.C., the weather's nicer in, uh, you know, in Indiana, and suddenly everybody wants to go shopping again, even though we all buy stuff online. But, um, right. you know, it, that's like the narrative. And I think the question I keep asking myself and have been asking myself for the last several months is, yes, we know the Q1 number is going to be icky, yucky, not so good. Yep. You know, but yep. are we going to see that same pattern of bounce in Q2 and Q3? And that was yep. the strongest two quarters last year, or, you know, last several years. And you know, at the moment, it still looks good because of that wage number, because uh, the hiring, you know, despite last uh, last month, hopefully an anomaly, you know, still looks good because of the consumer sentiment looks good, not as great as it was, but good, you would think we would still see that consumer spending bounce. But if that doesn't happen, that's when I'm really going to start to panic. Okay. Well, uh, you know, uh, one of my other pieces of advice, Heather, is that if you're going to panic, be the first one to panic. <laughs> otherwise, you know, you just, you just kind of following the crowd. Yeah, it's a little late. Um, but, uh, okay, uh, I can't tell you uh, what a treat it is to have you on the forecast. This is terrific. Uh, and it sounds like message from Heather Long is, you know, don't, don't rush to uh, uh, drink the hemlock just yet. Things aren't all that bad. Uh, they might not be great, uh, but steady as she goes ahead. Have I got that right, Heather? I think so. And that's true even if Stephen Moore gets on the Federal Reserve Board. Oh, my God. Uh, can we, would you come back and talk to me about Stephen Moore? I've known Stephen Moore for years. Uh, one of the nicest guys uh, with the uh, loosest, really a nice guy, one of the nicest guys with one of the loosest affiliations uh, to um, actual economics, uh, economic theory, or uh, don't, doesn't really uh, get too uh, hung up on the specific data points either uh, when I've been on the air with him over the years. So uh, it does concern me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not thrilled uh, that Stephen is now on that board, but that's just one man's opinion. Um, well, he's not Heather. on yet. It needs the, the Senate confirmation, but he is close. Let's put it wow. that way. And, uh, and uh, can I tell you what ought to happen? Heather Long ought to be on the board, ought to be the next Federal Reserve Governor, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Write your members of Congress. Write the president right now. Heather Long, L-O-N-G, spells just the way it sounds. Send the letters in. Heather Long from the Washington Post, thank you so much for being with us on the Farcast. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us again this week on the Farcast, a terrific show for us. Couldn't happen, ladies and gentlemen, without you. I am so grateful that every week you take us along in your cars and in your earbuds and your offices and your homes. It is a great privilege. I am deeply appreciative, and I have a, nothing but a heart full of thanks for each and every one of you. We'll be back next week with a wonderful Farcast. Stay safe. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back, and we hope you'll be with us. In Washington, D.C., for the Farcast, I'm Michael Farr.
Thank you for listening to the Farcast. We're always happy to hear from you. You can reach us at Farcast at farmiller.com. We'd like to remind you that if you think you've heard a recommendation to buy or sell any security this week, you haven't. Farcast is for informational purposes only, and we hope that you find the information useful. But before you make any investing decision, we always recommend that you do your research and discuss with your financial advisor. If we can be of any help at Far Miller in Washington, please give us a call at 202-530-5600 or email us at invest at farmiller.com.